This is the Soccer OG. I am Max Bretos. Thanks for finding us. You know, these are very difficult times to try and consume as much soccer and football as humanly possible. Especially if you're in the United States and you have to include in your diet MLS, Liga MX, NWSL. We've got the Women's World Cup right around the corner. We've got to focus on that because that's going to keep us occupied in the summer, right? So that's what I'm here for. You know, I, 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 try, I probably watch too much as well. Yesterday I found myself Pacific time, lunchtime, watching Luton Town and uh, Middlesbrough. They had two American keepers. By the way, this Luton Town, and we'll talk a little bit about Wrexham because that was one of the big stories of the weekend. Luton Town was kind of doing what Wrexham is, minus the hit TV show, moving up from the National League over the last few years and now perhaps on the cusp of going to the Premier League. That's what Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney want to do. I mean, if they can pull that off, Welcome to Wrexham is going to have a 10-year shelf life. It's going to be amazing. But we'll talk about that. Do want to remind you all to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend of the Soccer OG podcast. We appreciate everyone tuning in, getting wonderful feedback, and it is wind in my wings to keep doing it every week. Our guest this week from the uh, North American area for transfer market. He also covers the Bundesliga for Forbes. We've got to talk about the Bundesliga race. It's the best thing going right now. He also has his own podcast in the uh, Gay Compressing Podcast, so all things German. Manuel Veth, I'm sure you know about him if you follow on social media. We'll have a nice chit-chat. He's also covering uh, Major League Soccer, and we'll, have, we'll see what, how is the best way to present it. That's coming up in the business end in stoppage time. We're going to discuss the new man in charge of U.S. soccer. The sporting director, Matt Crocker, announced on Tuesday and now the job of finding a coach. But remember, it's not just the men's team. It's the women's team. It's 27, 28 different teams that he will be watching. So I'll give you my thoughts on that. Check out the Soccer OG on my YouTube page, Max Bretos, for further content and where you can see my pretty face. We're going to have a video component of this podcast here very soon. In the meantime, I will be here in my grotto with this beret and this very cold cup of coffee in my hand. So we're going to get started. Very excited about what lies ahead. Thanks again for joining us. The Sakurochi starts right now. recording this on a Tuesday. I just finished watching Leeds United tie Leicester 1-1. So I've said on the past program, I think Leeds is getting relegated. They were up a goal and I was thinking there's no way they're getting a clean sheet here. Not this team. And they didn't. Almost lost the game. So uh, we're pulling for Leeds. I hope to be wrong. I really do. But uh, this is a better performance. And this is, if you're going to get a result and a point against a relegation team that you're ahead of in the standings is a result. This is the one to get. You don't have to get it against Liverpool. Crystal Palace is probably out of reach, but you need to get it against Leicester City. So everyone's waiting for you. You might hear this after the Man City Arsenal game. I, uh, I anticipate Man City to what is a What's a good expression for this? Uh, just run rampant. Uh, what? What's the one about the boat? I can't remember. But uh, it's going to be, uh, I would imagine, the Premier League race being wrapped up here, which really leaves us with the Bundesliga race. And we'll talk to Manuel Fitt, uh, trying to pronounce his name correctly, a little bit about the Bundesliga race, which is really, really compelling. So I would soak it all in and enjoy it. We're into the final month of these European seasons. And the biggest soccer story, at least in the United States, and it wasn't even close, was the promotion of Wrexham from the National League. And, you know, there's some people and I, 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 I'm not I haven't watched the whole show. I'm not really wanting to watch the whole show. Um, I think part of the appeal of it is people who aren't familiar with the English system and promotion relegation seeing it for the first time. And that's what Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney are going through. Right. They're like, this is amazing. Let's get on board and and go on that uh, this adventure. But I, I, that's why I said I mean, I'm not. I don't even know why I preface this, but I, I know people are kind of like upset that Wrexham's getting the attention that maybe Major League Soccer isn't. But I got to tell you, I look at this and I say to myself, why didn't I think of this idea? Brilliant idea. You know, you want to do something good for some people. You want to make people feel good. 
And then you also want to do something that is buoyant and a moneymaker and has legs. This, Wrexham crosses everything off the list. I mean, they bought this club for $2.5 million. It's nothing. And then the power of celebrity, and all due respect to Rob McElhaney, who is a very compelling and a, a charismatic person, but this Ryan Reynolds guy is singular. Ryan Reynolds is singular. He could look at you in the face and tell you to F off and you would laugh. He could tell, look at your face and tell you your mother is uh, this, that, or the other, and you would laugh. He's just that kind of guy. Not that he would do that. I mean, I've never really seen anyone like that. And that's why he's so successful with the gin and the, the companies, because these companies look to him to pitch these things, and they, they empower him, and he delivers. There's nobody on the planet that delivers like that guy. There's just an amazing way. Uh, you want to have a beer with this guy. You want to hang out with him. And now he is doing this with Wrexham. And uh, the, the, th- the through line with both of these guys is that they are genuinely good dudes. That comes through. And they are the most compelling part of it. All due respect to Wrexham and the town, the most compelling part of this are those two gentlemen and uh, what they are doing. So I, I'm just, I just applaud them. I just think it's amazing. And they did it the right way. They wanted to do something good. They did it, and they have a hit show. I hope it's a hit show. I'll start tuning in. It's kind of hard to tune in when you know what happens, though, right? <laughs> You'd rather be surprised. But uh, it's, uh, I can understand how people from all walks of life are gravitating towards uh, Wrexham and they're developing fans. I, I, the thing that I, I was a little tormented by was these other clubs in the National League that we're, we're supposed to look at Wrexham like this underdog story. They're not. They're kind of the bullies. When they can bring Ben Foster out of retire and have uh, Paul Mullins, you know, that guy's a, probably a, a League One talent, maybe a championship, EFL championship talent. So, I mean, they have a leg up. But I was, I was doing homework on Knotts County, the team that's going to finish second. Maybe they get promoted to... Just another compelling story. An incredible town that wears they, that uh, are family-owned and uh, they do it the right way. There's so, they, all of these towns and stories are compelling, but you need the big celebrities to make it uh, take it to another level. So uh, it's just a perfect it's a perfect project, and I don't think project's the right word for it because that doesn't do it justice. Because I know those guys are genuinely. Um, it has to be when you're philanthropic and you do something and helps so many people and it's not like you're you're buying everyone a house. You know, you can't, not everyone can do that. You can help people in different ways by helping their football team and they saw this and that's all they want. They don't want handouts. They don't want money. They want their football club back. They want to go there. They invest time. They're not asking for a lot. And how, how could anyone not be moved by that? So fantastic stuff there. And uh, we'll, we'll keep tabs of it. But I, I think they, may, they might have another promotion in their future. I don't know if they go any further than that. Because once you get further up, you're dealing with really sophisticated football people. You're dealing with serious money. Although Luton Town, who uh, has Ethan Horvath, are on the cusp of being promoted. They were in the National League not that long ago. So it's possible. I mean, if that went there, you have the story of a lifetime. And then the sponsorships, they're going to make money hand over fist. And again, that's not why they're doing it. But it's very, very cool. Some big happenings in the U.S. soccer. We're going to talk about that in stoppage time with the appointment of their new sporting director, Matt Crocker. We, uh, I don't want to get too sideways. I wanted to talk about Napoli. There's this great video. They're going to probably clinch the Italian trophy next week. And... They will. Uh, they had this incredible fight back, 93rd minute winner from Giacomo Raspadori as they beat Juventus. Great video of the team bus at 3 in the morning with all these Neapolitan guys on their Vespas behind it trailing it. Uh, there's some great moments in Italy coming up. The, the two legs of the, Conca- the UEFA Champions League uh, at the San Siro are going to be breathtaking to be there would be amazing and then to be there at the maradona stadium when napoli clinches it also uh, a once in a lifetime moment and we'll get memories of maradona major league soccer i was at salt lake so real salt lake san jose this week i am going to do the chicago fire and the red bulls uh from soldier field with brian dunseth 
And I'm going to be a little nostalgic because it was in 2007 that I had my most famous goal call, uh, the Benny Failhaber goal in the Gold Cup final. So I'll be back there. I've been there since, but uh, that'll bring back some good memories. So I'm looking forward. If you're in Chicago, drop a note on one of my social media handles or let us know on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, come out to the game. I know those teams aren't doing well, but come out. We'll have a good time. Fire, Red Bulls, kind of almost MLS originals. Coming up in the business end, Manuel Fate of Transfer Market, uh, the Gag Impressing podcast. We'll, he has a really interesting perspective working now in MLS. We'll talk a little bit about that LAFC Bayern Munich deal and the respect between the German and the American games. Very exciting stuff if you're an American soccer fan on the perception from the Germans. They are paying attention to what's happening here. Stoppage time, we'll talk a little bit about Matt Crocker and the new sporting director for U.S. soccer. It's the Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe. This end here on uh, the Soccer OG and a chance meeting for a gentleman who I was following on on Twitter and then followed me back and uh, now I know how to pronounce his name correctly and I think a lot of people know him because a lot of people want to know more about transfers. It really is one of the undersold most exciting things about covering this sport. Manuel Fates. How did that Wow. Not bad. That was perfect. <laughs> oh, you can't get better than that. It's spelled V-E-T-H for those following. He yeah. is in the North American office for Transfer Market, a resource that I use a lot, mm-hmm. and I'm sure a lot of folks do. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about that. Also has his uh, Bundesliga podcast, Gag Impressing, which we'll, we'll talk about this race, which is very, it's the most compelling thing, as good as Man City Arsenal is. But by the way, Manuel, I think that's going to be extinguished Wednesday. Uh, with a route a from City. I, I really, <laughs> yeah. uh, great run by Arsenal, but you know, this is a different, so we'll focus on Germany. And he's also covering a lot of major league soccer. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited about uh, everything we will uh, will start, but let's talk about transfer market. Uh, and because we, it's a resource in case you're not familiar and it has uh, valuations of players. It has all the listings of transfers. I will tell you, what else because when i do research for my mls games it's the one place i can go for information on referees which is very helpful so uh, tell us a little bit more about how this began and why it's so important for people who cover soccer as a place to go to on a regular basis to get their information well it's been around for 20 years and um you would joke the website still looks like that (laughs) because it is really basic in many ways um, it's founded by, you know, who's still our CEO, Matthias Seidel, um, back in 2002. And it was actually started, and this is still the backbone of the site. And I, something that I always stress whenever I do talk to people about it is it's a community, right? It was started as a forum on Werder Bremen, a Bundesliga team. And the, the story is that Matthias Seidel wanted to figure out, okay, what would be the market value of all these Werder Bremen players? So they, he started having this forum where they would vote on the market value of all the Werder Bremen players. And then he said, well, what would it be for all the Bundesliga players? So they started doing on all the Bundesliga players and then it involved. And now we have a million players in the database, over a million players in the database, actually, as you mentioned, referees, head coaches, all the other positions that you can have in football, they're all listed. I think we have 50 or 60,000 head coaches um, in the database. We have the all the referees from all the leagues around the world in the database. Um, the market values, are, of course, are still a part of it as well, right? The the evaluation of, of football players, which is still community-driven to the state, is uh, about 2 million registered users on the platform. In fact, Max, if you want to do get a profile on Transfermarkt, you could. And then you could get involved in the market value evaluation process. <laughs> let's do it. I, I, I want to be part of that community. <laughs> yeah, everyone should. I mean, we still, you know, we started in the U.S. in 2020, uh, January 2020, which was terrible timing because we all know yeah. what happened two months after. Um, and I mentioned this to you when we finally met in L.A. in person. The things that I started to do this year where I'm actually going around to clubs and meet people like you in person in the press boxes around MLS, that was supposed to happen two years ago or three years ah. ago, right? And then we're finally at that stage now where we can actually 
And that's a big part because a lot of people are, well, what are, where are these market values come from? They, these guys that just come up with these randomly. It's like, no, there's actually a process here. And if you don't like our evaluations, get a profile, sign up and change it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not saying you can change it. Like, it still goes through multiple hands. And then like, you know, I'm at the end of that process, but everyone can get involved in the site and, you know, have an influence and have, have a discussion about it. Or we also have a forum where we just discuss transfers. They are, these forums are really active in places like Turkey or Germany or Spain. We're still getting there in the United States, but you know, it is a site where everyone is, can get involved in and all the data that you're seeing, it's all put in by hand. You know, these are people that spend free, often free time, just to curate data, like people play football manager, they go on Transfermarkt and ensure that the data is correct, right? We were talking about Hamburg uh, Wonderland, the miniature land that you visited. Off, when you off the air, I went to Hamburg and went to miniature yeah. Wonderland. Highly, highly so, recommend. But that's, that's a good example of, right, where someone just wanted to recreate something and put in a lot of detail in, and probably at the time just thought, okay, well, I'm going to do this for free for fun because I, I like recreating something. That's kind of what Transfermarkt is like too. It started like that and has been since become this great community where people are just really detail oriented and want to make sure that the data that we have about football is correct. And, um, you know, we don't always get it right. No one can, but we, we definitely strive to having it as correct as possible. You get it right a lot. I, I've always been uh, moved. And by the way, when you're in you, your work in North America is to get to help the the valuations of MLS based players or incoming players. Is that just to have to conversations with scouts and coaches yeah. to get a better idea of what those valuations are? So you're doing the homework. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I the, the market values, that's like kind of like a backbone thing, right? Um when we decide the market values in MLS, we don't just do MLS. We also do the USL Championship, the USL League One, um, and the Canadian Premier League as well, right? Um, but MLS is the the keystone league in on this continent. Um, well, for North America, Canada, US, right? We have someone in in Mexico um, as well who takes care just of Liga Mackies. So that's not me, but. Um, you know, when the community comes up with the market values, they then come through me as well. And then there's a couple other people that are involved in Hamburg. We kind of look over it and say, okay, well, this is maybe too high. This is maybe too low. Then we make slight adjustments. But a lot of what I also do is then I talk to people around the league and say, hey, well, how much did you guys pay for this guy? Or is there a market for this player? Like if there's a young player, let's say playing for LAFC, and um, I happen to know maybe this player's representatives and say, like, is there actually a market for this guy? Like, what do you feel? Or like, and, you know, they come up with a number and then I might go to LAFC, people at LAFC that I know and say, like, well, I heard this number. What, how do you feel about that? So that flows into it. We don't always agree with their assessments. In fact, we often disagree, but, you know, it does all play a role. So there's a lot of factors that play into it. And I always say to people, like, there's a lot of people on Twitter, especially who say, well, it's not transparent. I'm like, well, at the end of every market value text that we do, there is an explainer with a link that leads to an entire page where the entire methodology is laid open. So you, it's all there for everyone to see. It's not secretive society because like, you know, people think sometimes when we come up with this and we're the secretive society, it's like, actually, we're really transparent. You just need to look. <laughs> that sounds really creepy. Secret society of transfer yeah. valuations. <laughs> it's like, how do these guys come up with this? It's like, well, it's on the side. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's nothing's hidden. By the way, you mentioned Hamburg. I want to say just my bad parenting. I took my, my son on that trip. We went to Miniature Wunderland, which is great mm -hmm. for kids because all these models and Right. And then I want to go see FC St. Pauli. I reached out to Ian Joy. He tried to get a tour mm -hmm. going, but they, no one was there that day. So we went to the Reppen, which is yeah. not really for the kids. The Reeperbahn, yeah. <laughs> the Reeperbahn, the Reaper, the Reeperbahn. And, <laughs> and I went down there and we had a we had some uh, curry verst. And my son's like, Dad, this store over here, you're not going to believe it. I go, don't get, get out of there. <laughs> So, well, it doesn't do, have red lights. <laughs> no, I know, but it was, it was like one in the afternoon. But I mean, what can you do? It is what it is. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, you know, I covered all sports in my days at ESPN and people are always intrigued about transfers and buying and selling players because yeah. it doesn't happen in American sports. And people are just mm -hmm. their jaws drop at the whole idea of it. And yeah. but it makes it makes 
the world game click and it connects the world game. I know mm-hmm. I'm speaking in very elementary terms, but yeah. it connects MLS to all the European and South American leagues because we're yeah. all in this huge marketplace. So to me, this is at the top of the list of what makes this sport original, intriguing, <laughs> and to see these these transfers. And I got to tell you, you guys, I mean, you're, you're very you're conservative on them, which you have to be. And I, I would imagine when these transfers don't add up to what you do, and most of the time they do, is when the you you have like let's let's take Enzo Fernandez, who's not a hundred and thirty million dollar player, no. uh, but somebody paid for that, which is yeah. another intriguing part of the transfer market. But somebody paid him for that, and um, it it's not like these clubs are going to lean in to go let's do a tra- transfer market. But I bet mm-hmm. you they do sometimes to get a better idea because of the work that you've done, and that helps these clubs. But yeah. it's basically it's what a a club wants to pay for a player. That said, mm-hmm. everyone's looking for a good deal, and more so in 2023 than let's say pre-pandemic. Yeah. Even though there's some outliers, everyone's looking to get closer to that transfer value or below it. Because, like yeah. in every way of life, everyone wants a good deal. Yeah, but every like how it is also true in real life. Sometimes people overpay to get an asset that they want. I mean, we see this all the time. Uh, I live in a very hot housing market. As do you. <laughs> we both live on the West Coast, so we we both know the pain. And you have people overpaying for for houses above what the va- value is all the time. And Enzo Fernandez is a great example for that. Chelsea really wanted to play, and Benfica said, "Well, unless you trigger this clause." We're not going to give them to you because we don't want to lose them, right? So Chelsea then went and triggered the clause and paid this unbelievable transfer fee. And look, we still to this day don't agree with that evaluation. And we think it's too high. He's an unbelievable player. He He's done great things at the World Cup, um, which I personally think the World Cup is a very small sample size. You always have to be really careful with evaluating players and clubs still to this day, which I find is incredible, fall into the trap of thinking that seven games are representative of of what a player is in real life, right? Um, but, you know, that's what happens. Evaluations can be above and below. Um, we also don't, look, we don't go to a zero market value only because a player's contract expires, right? Um, that is another thing that often is... I see come up it's like well he doesn't have a market value because he doesn't have a contract anymore it's like well you know we always assume a player is under contract for three years that's part of our evaluation process but it's really interesting i mean like we see stuff all the time and there's colleagues of mine and we look at some of the transfer fees pays and chelsea is i mean mind-boggling <laughs> remember the mutrick deal for 70 yes. million plus 30 million he had a plus deal 30 to I like how they just throw it. It's like, plus, plus you get 30. some, plus you get some yeah. uh, rice pilaf with your chicken. A little plus performance based add-ons. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine we all had those. Imagine yeah, all, man, I'd be no, terrified. Be nice, um, but you know he had a deal in place with Bayer Leverkusen in the summer where he would have gone. Like he already completed his medical there, and the deal would have been sixteen million euros. Sixteen. So, sixteen. Yeah. Oh boy. So. Four, and that's probably closer to your valuation later. of him, I would imagine. At the time, I thought that was a really good deal. Um, it is, yeah, that's a good deal. I, and then I thought, okay, well, then he had like his four or five good games in the Champions League, and, and all of a sudden, Chelsea came along, right? <laughs> they just blew the market up. <laughs> yeah, just blew it up. I mean, they've blown up the market uh, for a lot of things. Um, you look at the Enzo Fernandez deal, for example, makes it almost impossible for Liverpool to now sign Jude Bellingham because Borussia Dortmund, they saw that Enzo Fernandez deal goes through and they're like, we can get 150 million euros. 150 at least, right? Yeah, so they can. Just to open a conversation would be 150 for Jude Bellingham because he's another level. exactly. And that's because someone else paid that amount of money. And there's Dortmund who have all these assets from Erling Haaland and... Christian yeah. Pulisic, and they've all, I think they've all sold for above market value. What an incredible. Holland didn't because he, he did had not. An exit okay, clause. that's right. Yeah. What was the reason again? Sorry. He had an exit clause. Ah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. There was a 60 million euro exit clause in his deal. And so Man City triggered it. And, but in the end of the day, they still made 40 million euros on that deal because when Dortmund signed him from Salzburg, there was also an exit clause in his Salzburg contract that was only 20 million euros at the time. Right. So. That is a good example of two clubs really knowing what they were doing. 
I'm going to circle back to the Bundesliga to talk some football, but let's yeah. stick to transfers. And, and now that you're doing this in, in Major League Soccer, and I remember the early days of transfers from this league, and there was like Clint Dempsey. Josie Altador was a good one. I think at the time, it was like 2008, he went for like $10 million to Villarreal. So yep. that was a good one. But generally, European clubs were getting really good deals on MLS players, you know, somewhere between two and five million. And we all said that's going to have to change if this is going to be sustainable for MLS. And it has. And we saw Ricardo Pepe go for, what, 15 and then add-ons where it could be up to 20 to Augsburg. He hasn't going to yeah. hit those uh, those add-ons. Um, he might. Right? He might. Well, yeah, he's, he's, he's moving back up. But then there's Brendan Aronson and several more, uh, Gaga mm-hmm. Slonina, uh, Jean Durand, not American, but came through MLS to go to yeah. Aston Villa. Um, yeah. So that's changing. I mean, because I think European clubs look for a good value, but they still get a good value of MLS, but uh, not as good as it used to be. So how have you seen the, I guess, the the changes in the the volatility mm-hmm. on, on, the, on the better side for MLS, where uh, the valuation uh, is, is probably maybe a better way of putting it. It's, it's, it's a fair valuation based on what's happening around the world. If you want a, a talented young American player, it's mm-hmm. it's got to match up to what you would pay for a player from someone else, from somewhere else. Yeah, no, we've definitely, I mean, you look at um, St. Louis's Miguel Perez, right, who just walks into the league and his first market value was 2 million euros right off the bat because we know that St. Louis will probably get that, right? For Miguel um, Perez, who it, they discovered in suburban... cornfields in Missouri... <laughs> <laughs> they discovered him, and which so maybe it was zero valuation, yeah. and yeah. then because St. Louis, and now he's already been a first team player that goes up because of his and age. U.S. men's national team youth player now as well, right? He was called up recently. Um, you have someone like Joshua Winder who plays in USL. His market value is um, a million euros now. Um, I mean, we um, I've covered the story from start to the end. Um, he's going to Benfica, right? They just have to wait until he turns eighteen. Um, and then that transfer will be officially announced by both clubs. And his deal is around a million and a half, right? And he's he's 17 now, and he's playing in America's second division. Um, you know, there's a real... If young players in the U.S. are worth a lot of money at the moment. Um, and I think that is sort of... I think who kickstarted this, interestingly enough, wasn't an American. It was a Canadian. It was Alfonso Davies, right? Oh, of course. He's, he, op- I think he and, kind and, of opened the door. And Manuel, because of these other young players. Right. And because just to give people a, a background, I'm sure they know it. Yeah. Uh, it was like 10, 11 million originally for, right? 10 and now plus add ons. Yeah. Add ons. But the, his valuation is somewhere about 70, 80. Yeah. 70. And, and within a year, it went from 10, 15 plus add ons to 80 million. So that had to be they a moment get, where they, they go, could wait a minute. get like, they could get at 80, 90 million euros for him easily. That's good right? business. So, so other Bundesliga teams then quickly caught on. Salzburg did the same with Brandon Aronson. I mean, they paid, what, 12 million with add-ons for him and then they sold him for 35 million to Leeds. That's good business, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, you're paying a lot for these young American talents. German teams in particular like them, or German-speaking teams, is because it's they find it's really easy to integrate Americans into their teams because there is a historical connection dating back from after World War II when there was, or it still is a large American contingent living in Germany to this present day, right? So they have a they find it really easy to just take a 17-year, 18-year-old American and bring him over and say, well, here you go. And it always works really well, um, you know, what, whether it was Davies or Pulisic or Drainer or all of these other guys. That's got to be the German sensibility why it makes it easier. Because you would initially yeah. think some other leagues, but uh, we know in Germany, almost everyone speaks English. So yeah. that's got to be part of it. But there's also the clubs have to be aware of how to make it easier for these players. And I, I don't know what's happening, but there's something there where these players feel comfortable joining a German club. I think the mentality is so similar. Um, you know, I would agree with that. I think the the mentality is strangely very very. I mean, it, it makes sense when you look at America's history. Twenty five percent of the population in the U.S. is German, right? Or German ethnic German uh, come come over from Germany. Germany's Germans make up the largest percentage of Americans. Um, I did not so know I that. Is that yeah? It's, oh, wow. it's, it's yeah. So it's like Germans, Irish, and then it's everyone else. Uh, but 
Um, so that I think is a plays a big role in this, but it's also I think is what what German clubs really appreciate about Americans is that maybe their tactical schooling isn't the best, but their work ethic is extremely good. Yep. Right. They'll come over there and they work hard and they have all the athletic tools that you that you would see from a young German player as well, and they just teach you the rest. And that's easy, you know, like you just you just load the hard drive of information. But if you have already good good software, then that's easy to do. Manuel Fate here of Transfer Market uh, and also working here with Major League Soccer, covering some stories, joining us on the Soccer OG. I want to dovetail into covering MLS because now we see these players are valued more. And one of the big draws, because I sat there and spoke to you and you said to me, I goes, I don't understand why Americans don't get behind their own league. And I go, exactly. Why? How could you be a fan of American soccer and not have some sort of inkling towards major league soccer, if nothing else, for the kids? Because these are we 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 over we watch these. We're proud of our kids and they're doing incredible things making these breakthroughs. Yeah. So I know I've I've seen some some folks say, Oh, yeah, I don't watch MLS, but I I like what the academies and I, I look, I watch the kids. I go, you can't really separate that. You've still got to yeah. watch it because there might be a late bloomer. There might be a, a guy yeah. coming back. I, I tend to think that, you know, it's not going great for that top line of players like Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney. My belief is one of them is going to come back to MLS because they're going to get a good offer. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe more. I don't know. The Manuel's rolling his eyes a bit. But no, no, I'm not. But, I, but I, I think, think you're right. <laughs> but I think it's a cyclical thing. So if you're not, yeah, you don't have to love MLS, but you have to kind of watch it if you yeah. want to be speaking intelligently about American mm-hmm. soccer because it's a big part of it. And I know I was really it was nice to hear you kind of saying, I don't I don't get it because this is our league and no other part yeah. of the world kind of poo-poos their own league. It, <laughs> I understand the the issues that some people have. Um, you know, there's there's, there's structural issues. Um, with the of league. I'm not a fan of the new playoff playoff format, Max. I don't know how you feel about it. I think nine teams in the playoffs is too many for each conference. Well, Manuel, because I'm a broadcaster, and that means more games for me. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll just um, put it that way. <laughs> I, I think I get I get that. I think there is going to be. You know, I, I used to be a beat writer on covering the Whitecaps um, full time, and I would have loved to cover more playoff games because it would have meant more money for me at the time too. Sure. So I get, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. I totally do. It's a but, lot of teams, though. It is a lot of teams. From a comp- competitive issue, like look at the Galaxy. They have won like one game and they're three points out of the playoffs. Like that's that shouldn't be happening. <laughs> no. And I think that is bad for writing creating narratives sure. you know and then then the, the and promotion is- promotion relegation is another one and i would say maybe yeah. one day i don't think we're ready for it but i can understand why that's yeah. something people want to see see i'm i used to be before i started working in the business i used to be a really big pro relegation guy too and then you like you probably like we start working in the business you talk to people you understand the finances behind it you you see both sides of the story I still would like to see promotion and relegation um, because I think it would add more merit to the competition. But I also understand that it's maybe just not possible at the moment. And it was really interesting in, in February, I had the chance uh, as part of a round table to talk to Don Garber. Um, and this, this text is up on Transfermarkt. So these, these quotes are out there and I, I'm paraphrasing the quotes right now because I don't have them in front of me, but even he said that one day that might be possible, right? Um, that's just, we're not there yet because like, how are you telling an owner in St. Louis say, look, you should spend a billion dollars on a club, but next year you might be relegated. Of course, St. Louis Sorry. is a terrible example now because they're first in the West, but you know what I mean? Like there's a real, like, real chance that if you come new into the league, then the next year you're relegated. I'm just, that's not going to happen. So what I think what, he is sort of alluding to is that we need to get to a stage where we have enough depth in competition to allow for promotional relegation so that if you go down to the second division, it's not the death of your club, right? Um, in Europe, we are, we are able to do this because we have 150 years of history in this sport. 
you know, MLS came around in 1994, 1995, It's, it's a great reminder to people because I think yeah. people genuinely forget that this league yeah. is a baby. It is a baby and look at where it's gone in this short of a time frame. Like the other day I saw a tweet and said like, oh, MLS hasn't improved in 25 years. I'm like, you obviously are not watching. <laughs> it's improved since I've covered it. Unbelievable. I've already done it for six years, right? Um, yeah, just yeah. massive. I mean, I'm, I was, I, I'm doing the LAFC pod and we have a, we're preparing for this CONCACAF Champions League game between LAFC and Philadelphia. Yeah. I go, I've never seen that. The two best teams from last season, yeah. get their, play, their roster's intact and now are meeting in a major international semifinal. That would have never happened yeah. because so much happens between an offseason in MLS, but it didn't this time. So just And the winner of that game is probably the favorite to win. Agreed. Conquest, yes. Right? So, I mean, like, and we had the Sounders win it last year. Um, we should have probably had LAFC win it the year before. That collapse is still <laughs> epic. Um, but, you know, we're getting to a stage now where that's going to be normal. Um, and I, th I think there is structural issues and they, needs to, they need to be addressed, but we're not going to address or improve the competition by just saying, oh, it's crap. It's never going to be good. It's, it's just absolute garbage. I'm like, well, it's not the best league in the world, but it's still your domestic competition. You will not see anyone in, in the Netherlands if you're in the Netherlands. I lived in the Netherlands for a year, did my master's there. They all know it's not the Bundesliga. It's not the Premier it's not Serie but they would never, ever talk it down. They would say, it's our competition. This is where we develop our talent. And we understand that when you are a good player at Ajax, stadiums, yeah. we'll move on to another team. And then we still support these players, but we still go to every game and we still watch it on television and we still enjoy it because it's ours. Right? And you can be critical of it while being supportive. The one doesn't exclude the other. Very well said, Manuel. And that that's, uh, um, you know, we the same reason we we put our young players on a pedestal. And we say, those are ours. I think we can look at that league. And now that MLS kind of in charge of it. So uh, I love the, the Dutch analogy because that's it. They they are, yeah. this is our league. And, you know, you be realistic. Maybe the people on the flip side, there's some folks in MLS, I haven't really ran into them who overvalue the league. Maybe that has, mm -hmm. they have to change their uh, narrative a little bit. Uh, but the, 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 the two parties are so far apart and I don't understand it, but hopefully these conversations like we're having now can help close that. And we accept what it is because yeah. it, you, you said it's not the best league in the world, but it's not moving backwards. It's moving closer yeah. to that. And maybe there's a big step here in the next few years where that, that steps are even bigger, but yeah, I mean, it's Max, everyone, everyone wants to be polarizing these days. And I think that's a huge yes. issue. But I also, here's another thing. And I, 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 I'm learning this still and I'm trying to be better about it. But we take everything that's being said on the Bluebird app so serious, right? We have to remember Twitter the is 200 million, the 200 million people. 200 million people are on Twitter. There's 8 billion people on the planet, right? What is it, like 4 to 5% of the world is represented on the Bluebird app? It is not the real world. What is being said there is not the real thing. You know, and you are being successful on Twitter by being polarizing. And I think yes, that's where you get clicks. Have, and it's well, it used to be 280, <laughs> 280 signs. Now it's if you buy the the, the blue bird extra add-on, um, you get what unlimited. You can write an entire novel on there now. I heard. Oh but my god! Who anyways, wants that? it's not the real. It's not the real world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I think we need to kind of also remember that that i think a lot of people in the real world walk around understand what mls is and that it isn't this polarizing fight on twitter all the time well said uh yeah let's just all do it let's close the gap let's not be so polarizing we can disagree we can have intelligent disagreements <laughs> oh man but we're so polarizing about everything man i know like, maybe twitter you, should change you, it to the you, you, you live in the united states you know how polarizing politics has been in the yeah. canada it's been the same way for the last few years like everything has to be this side versus this side i like why don't we just go back to where we still like have all like maybe political ideas but still be able to talk to one another yeah. Twitter was also a place where people wanted to get canceled, where someone would say something yeah. or they'd say, get rid of that. And then this this all angry mob. <laughs> and then yeah. a lot of times I think people are wising up to it. They ignore that and it goes away. So, I mean, yeah. you, know, I, you know, I've been victimized by it. A lot of times yeah. it happens and it's not real because it's easy to say that. 
as opposed to be so hopefully as a society we get better well, and maybe they change twitter's name to the bluebird app yeah god <laughs> you started it. it i mean that's what we basically use for uh, whenever we talk about it now it's just the bluebird app because we don't know maybe musk yeah. will change the name yeah. <laughs> uh I, i'm gonna spin around but i did want to just mention something yeah. about your conversation with don garber and he said it's open to it and i i would think because We've seen it in other leagues, what a cataclysmic yeah. drop it is. Say the Premier League, if you go to the championship, what a cataclysmic drop is. And maybe there's pro-rel in the future yeah. of, of Major League Soccer or U.S. Soccer where you get relegated, but it's not this where they mm -hmm. banish you and say, well, it, there's still a support system in the next lower league where people will still want to watch whatever that second league is. And there's an outlet to yeah. come back where I mean, there's uh, – sharing of all the TV deals, et cetera. And that's where being a young league can benefit MLS and so forth, where they can maybe soften the blow of relegation, which doesn't sound that exciting maybe because maybe people want these clubs to go and never be seen again. But uh, it, when you have so many clubs, maybe there's a, a, an interesting way to do it, but we have to mm -hmm. wait a while for that. I think you're absolutely right. Like we would need an MLS too, right? Um. And I've always wondered on how you could do it that like you have relegation, but you still MLS. I think that needs to be where we need to get to. And maybe that means we need to expand to what 40 teams and then just split it into two divisions or have regional divisions rather, right? You have play-ins and like you, we need to create a system where the, the, the one worry that I have at the moment is that regular season games aren't interesting enough. We get the occasional, like we, we were both at El Trafico, great game, right? How do we have more El Traficos in this league? How do we have more games that engage the audience? Um, you and I always were at the um, MLS Cup final between LAFC and the Philadelphia Union, right? And um, what an amazing game that was, right? How do we get more games like that on a regular basis, how do we manage that the league has more intriguing lines within the regular season? And I think that is needs to be the number one task here. And I think there's many different ways of doing it. Maybe you need to regionalize the league, right? And then have a, a playoff system um, in place where then where you only meet the other teams in, at a later stage. Um, maybe you need to have some sort of cutoff that if you're not doing well, you, you go down a division. Um, it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, I don't have the answers for it. I think about it a lot, obviously, but I, I think we need to find mechanisms that make regular season play more interesting. Yeah. I, and I believe they're out there, but it's for a later date, yeah, but we can so have too. those, we yeah. can have those conversations now. Uh, you mentioned something about the relationship between Germany, the Bundesliga, and American soccer. Mm. And, um, the club I work for LAFC recently got into an agreement with Bayern Munich. That's yeah. something that you've had your focus on. And mm. that is the latest. You know, Bayern was with FC Dallas, but they're, that's Bayern. Yeah. And maybe other clubs find in Germany similar yeah. relationships because it can help them get a head start on finding those young players, which Bayern did enjoy with uh, a handful of FC Dallas players. Yeah. I'm curious because you have these conversations with folks in Germany, their perception of the league, where it's at, and not just the league, but American soccer, and why um, that focus is a little bit more um, concentrated, where you can see these relationships happening now because they it almost feels like they say, this thing is going to explode. We want to be positioned in the right place for when it does. Yeah, that's uh, maybe also why my perception on MLS is so different than what you see often take place within the conversation in the United States, um, is that in Germany, the perception of MLS is actually quite positive. Um, and, you know, we saw that reflected with the Bayern Munich LAFC deal, which is very different, by the way, than what they had with Dallas, which was more of an informal relationship. This one is a relationship set in stone, right? They actually both clubs created a joint venture that has a former rep, like it has a seat in Germany. You know, it's an actual proper company in which both clubs have a fair 50% share, shares in it. So that's a very formal set in stone relationship. It goes far beyond these marketing deals that you sometimes see. You know, I, I, I think United had something with the Yankees or something like that, right? 
it goes far beyond the, what Bayern had with Dallas, where like, oh yeah, like we have this informal agreement, and every once in a while you can send some youth players over, and if you like one, then we maybe buy them or loan them or whatever. This is actually a set in stone joint venture where players of both clubs can actually be sent back and forward on a pretty regular basis, right? Because you know they on this this joint venture could actually separately also buy players and clubs and then own these players and then transfer them back and forward as well. So it's a very different setup um, and it's far more in depth. And it goes back to what Bayern Munich see in MLS um, in terms of the potential that the league has and it's seeing how it's growing. It's seeing the money that can be made there. It's also a, a very good reflection of what LAFC have done, right? Since they have come into the league. I mean, we both probably saw the athletic ranking of the worst leagues and or like, the general, the best teams in MLS and um, LAFC used to be Chivas USA, right? Which is like what was ranked the third worst, worst franchise in MLS history. And look what they've done with this brand. They have turned it into maybe the most recognizable brand in MLS, you know, passing LA Galaxy, who are a well-known team around the world as well. And Bayern Munich see that and they see what's going on. They already have a foothold with the office in New York. And they said, okay, well, we need to be in place in California as well, which is like one of probably the most dynamic soccer market Absolutely. in the United yeah. States, right? So they saw that and they said, okay, well, we're going to plant a flag there because if we don't do it, someone else will. And um, I think that just speaks really well of MLS and the work that some of the clubs have done. And it also, also shows you that well, Americans might not like the league, but some of the biggest clubs in the world do. <laughs> oh, so can I, you I, imagine I, this Apple TV deal too? Down and see the world, and we're like, we're not seeing the yeah. growth in the United States, but uh, you got a million viewers for Orlando City, uh, Cincinnati, in uh, Germany or Austria or whatever. That's uh, who knows. You take what you can get, but I think uh, it'll. Uh, what you say is like the growth when you hear the respect elsewhere i think that'll help yeah. the american perspective as well but there's a lot of work and i think also from people who know the game way better than you and i or anyone who, or any of those uh fans on twitter or other social media thinking that they have invented you know the game um there is people at Bayern munich <laughs> and Bayern munich have the issues this season no doubt about it but this is a this is one of the best run clubs in the world in the history of the game and they're saying we really like where mls is going let's invest in it and let's not only invest a little bit in it let's invest substantially within it right and that is a huge difference substantially that's good uh before we part ways manuel and it's a good segue because you talked about Bayern munich gonna get your thoughts on this bundesliga race after the weekend yeah, Bayern lost so to good. mainz that was pretty yeah. badly i mean mainz was like scoring spectacular goals and then yeah. dortmund beat a very good eintracht frankfurt team to move to first I'm not going to talk about Gio Reyna. Every time I talk about Dorman and Gio Reyna, Gio Reyna is a luxury player there. He can't break into it, which is fine. It's not about Gio Reyna. Yeah. The good news about Gio is he's going to be part of perhaps a Bundesliga Shield winning Borussia Dortmund, which is going to help him mm -hmm. in the big picture. But Dortmund continued to do incredible work with players, you know, uh, Kareem Adeyemi who they, uh, and Daniel Malen, who they got, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in the Dutch league and they, 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 they locate talent. Jude Bellingham was spectacular in that yeah. game. Uh, I will say this, and I'm going to get your thoughts on it really quickly. Uh, Dortmund don't have to play in Munich, which is huge Byron, because last time they played, it was a horror show. Yeah. Usually is. Always is. <laughs> it always is. So they don't have Byron. They have a somewhat favorable schedule. They do well. They control their destiny. You yeah. mentioned Byron's one of the great brands and, you know, it's weird to see them struggle here because you know, they made this change with Julian Nagelsmann to Thomas Tuchel, mm. and people are second-guessing that. It is strange, but I would always say yeah. Bayern are allowed to make those decisions because it's Bayern. And if they feel Thomas Tuchel could put him in there, by all means do it. They don't have to apologize to anyone because of the commitment to excellence, to use a Raiders, uh, Oakland, <laughs> Las Vegas Raiders uh, slogan, is, is so consistent. And yeah. they might still win this race. And I, I would still... If you told me who you had to pick and I had to, I don't want to use the analogy, put a gun to my head. It's terrible. But if I had to put my money on the line, I would still probably pick Bayern Munich. Uh, mm -hmm. Whatever happens, uh, this is a great development. I know Dortmund were close. I think in 2019, they were, they, they pursued it. 
Uh, this feels like it's going to go to the end. It's great for German football. They need it. It'd be great if Dortmund could win it. Uh, and, and the good news is they put themselves in the position. So yeah, how do you see this unfolding here in this final month of what has been so uh, the best in a while? I put my head out of the window on the dropping block, and I said that Dortmund will win the title before yes. the final day of the season. Wow. Um, yeah, and I mean, we I is that because of Dorman or is that because Bayern you think is going to continue to labor here? I, I watched, so I, I go over to Bayern all the time. I cover about five to ten games a season on location. Um, I mean, I'm originally from Munich, I'm not a Bayern Munich fan, I actually support the other show in town, but um, you know, I've covered this club very closely for a very long time, um, and still have very good connections to it. and talking to people there um, on location, there is something fundamentally broken within this team. Uh-huh. And it has been, and you know, it's been going on ever since the, it's dating back a little bit longer than that. Uh, maybe even to Lewandowski leaving, right? And then Neuer injury and the Nagelsmann never really won over the dressing room. Um, but a lot of players were very upset about the coaching change. Um and then Thomas Tuchel has had the worst start in Bayern Munich history since a certain certain lobby, which dates back to 1991, 1992. Um, and he's just not getting it right. And I don't know if he'll be able to get it right. I watched this Mainz game really closely. And what struck me is that when Mainz equalized, the heads dropped, the, the shoulders dropped. There was no fight left in this Bayern Munich team. And then Mainz steamrolled them. Um and I said to my colleague, Stefan Bianchowski, on the game pressing show, it felt almost like, I almost wanted to myself, a Bayern going to win another game this season? <laughs> because it, they just did, it, was it was almost it like was... someone took a hot needle to an air balloon, right? And it's just like it deflated. And then you, when you look at the reactions after the game is, I don't think they themselves believe in the title anymore. And then you flip-flop that with what happened at Dortmund. Dortmund players... You know, they all come onto the pitch. Eden Terzic looked extremely nervous going into this match. And then Jude Bellingham scores that opener and then they just fly to that 4-0 result. You yeah, watch it, was, it was over at the game, And you see the fans and everything. And there is a sense now. It's five more games to bring this home. And I think they're going to bring it home. Um, you know, this is a big statement. I know and I might pay for it, but I don't... I, we had this on the gig pressing show on Monday. Uh, so if you want to listen back to that, but I said, because we were making plans of maybe going over there. And I said to Stefan, look, I don't think this title race is going to last till match day 34. I think Bayern are going to slip another time. Then it's four points. This stage four points, it might as well be over. Right. So, yeah, yeah. but I think, I think <sighs> never count out Bayern Munich, but this feels, this it is feels different. like they, this feels different and it feels like, you know, 10 years is a long time to be at this level and they've yeah. lost a certain amount of key players. And I think they there is something very rotten within the Bayern Munich, not within the squad, but also at the hierarchy um, going all the way up to Oliver Kahn. And it just feels like this run might come to an end. Yeah, and maybe they need some changes there because they've had so much yeah, success. I mean, it's hard to maintain you know, Even Bayern Munich fans are saying this might be for the best because it, it's probably been rotten for the last two or three years. It's just that no one benefited from it, right? And finally, Dortmund got the act together and d- doing what they should have maybe done in 2019. Yeah. Well, I'm changing it. I'm, I'm, let me make a note. Go to Sportsbook, put some money on Dortmund. Uh, but you, I, I, <laughs> that was very <laughs> no, but that's very convincing. And you know, they have a one point lead. Their final five yeah. games: three games at home at Bochum, home to Wolfsburg, yeah. home to Mönchengladbach, at Augsburg, home to Mainz. Mainz was good against Bayern, but that's a favorable run in, and Bayern will and... have to keep pace as well. And I and it, it feels fatigued. And you know what? You know, I remember when the World Cup rolled around, we said how many Bayern Munich players are on these rosters. I go. That's taking a toll. I mean, that's taking a toll on Messi. It's taking a toll on the French players. We thought it would, and it has. It's a small part of it, but it's also with Byron being so successful. It's it it, it makes you respect what Byron did even more for so long because no other league is doing that. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of reminds you of what Juventus did, right? And I think their run ended at ten, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, Ten years is a long time to dominate a league like that, and. 
everyone said it was going to last forever and i'm like sorry nothing lasts forever yeah <laughs> it felt like this buyer thing and who knows but I, it'd be great for the german game and those who cover it mm. because that's been kind of like yeah the drawback people are saying oh, i don't watch the bundesliga because you know Bayern's yeah. gonna win it and i'm sure that's well very- you know i'd be honest with you it's been good for us because like we have a wolf stefan and i work uh stefan biankowski those who are familiar with the gegen pressing podcast he's my um co-host at the at, at gegen pressing but he also works for transfermarkt he does he's the he's my counterpart in the uk and um you know we, we he, the two of us also have the sub stack and, and we feel like we've hit a gold mine this year because it's ah. been so exciting. <laughs> Good. You deserve it. <laughs> Manuel Fate, uh, Transfer Market, Gag Impressing Podcast. Check it out. I will check out the last uh, episode to, to get further enlightened with Dortmund. I, man, this was a great conversation on a, a variety Perfect. of important topics. So I appreciate yeah. you joining me. You're a good dude as well. Look forward to joining you uh, out in uh, Oktoberfest one year, perhaps. Oh, 100%. When we, I'll show you a good time. We'll, we'll have to hang out <laughs> Oktoberfest. I'm going to clip that, I'm gonna have to clip that audio. I'll show you a good time. Uh, uh, be, you will have good fun. I always take everyone to Oktoberfest. Every year we have uh, people from all over the world staying with us. Yeah, let me know. Good. I'll, I'll Consider show you it, a good time Oktoberfest. I can't wait to tell my friend who says I would never go. He doesn't believe I'd ever go. Man, well, oh, thanks. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining me in the business, and we'll come back with stoppage time. We'll have a little introduction to the new sporting director of U.S. soccer, Matt Crocker. We'll let you know what that means. That's next on Soccer OG. Time now for stoppage time. We're talking about Matt Crocker, the new uh, sporting director for U.S. soccer. He'll oversee all 27 U.S. national teams, men, women, youth, etc. It's a big job. Is it a bigger job than where he left from Southampton? I don't think so. Uh, he left the Southampton Post. Obviously, Southampton in the English Premier League, not for much longer. Uh, he was there for three years. He was there previously from 06 to 13 or something like that. Between that, he was with the English FA, with the youth teams. Remarkable uh, resume. Um you could put that, that has to be high, you know, just in the world stage. English FA, I mean, everyone wants to be associated with the English FA right now. They're making European finals, World Cup semifinals, World Cup quarterfinals. Uh, they're doing it well. They're winning under 17 World Cups, under 20 World Cups, under the watch of Matt Crocker. So it's exciting to be part of it. Now, I'm not going to get too far into it. You can check out, I have a video on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos, where I go in more detail. Check it out and subscribe us over there. We really appreciate it. But uh, I sign off on Matt Crocker. He addressed the media today and he he notified us that he spent some time. He grew up in the United States a little bit and he he wants to make this a, a world power. And And you have to wonder... If he is committed to that cause, the fact that he's taken the job, because everything you hear about him is that he could get a really good job in England or Europe. Um, you look at uh, when Southampton hired him the second time, he was part of, there's a lot of great candidates that he beat for that job. So uh, I would have to think, and I don't know if anyone asked him today, that he's a bit of a romantic, that he wants this job because he wants to be the guy who oversees U.S. soccer in its greatest era, which it can be starting today. Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand this summer. U.S. looking to win three straight. We head to the Copa America for the U.S. We have a lot of opportunities for the U.S. youth teams to finally break through. I think this under-20 team it next month has a shot to make it very far. And we'll do some videos and talk a little bit more about that here on uh, the Soccer OG podcast and on YouTube. Uh, the under-17s, there's a lot of opportunities here. There's, um, he even said it, he goes, this, the future's bright, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Post-World Cup, things aren't going great for us right now. We have uh, issues with our players getting games. Um, none of our players have really grabbed the ring in Europe. Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Serginho Dest. Uh... You know, we had guys playing in the Champions League, and then we didn't. We had Zach Steffen playing for Man City. So they're all doing okay, but none of them are at that top level. We don't have... We can call Christian Pulisic an American superstar. He plays like that for the U.S., but he really isn't. Um, not unless he gets with the club and he plays regularly. I mean, we're talking about 
first line superstars that we talk about, or even second line, we don't have one. I don't see anyone coming down the pike either that could uh, be classified as that. But you know, Matt Crocker, I believe that it's there. And I think Matt Crocker knows that, that the U.S. is this fertile, fertile ground. And there are some incredible players that are out there. And without question, the number one priority um, overall for Matt Crocker is developing players. The biggest thing he has to do on the horizon is hire a coach. We could talk about that now, but I think it would be spinning wheels. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But developing players, and I think he sees an opportunity. But to get back to Crocker and his American ties, I mean, you're, you're not going to break the bank getting this job for U.S. soccer. I mean, that's part of why Ernie Stewart went to PSV Eindhoven. You're going to probably make more money at Southampton. Um, he's going to move to the United States. It's not the sexiest situation working at those Chicago offices, right? You're not a day-to-day -day dealing with players. I mean, club football, sexier than national team football. Otherwise, all these great coaches would be at the national team level. So the fact that he took the job, and I don't know if he was the first choice, the second choice, the third choice, because there were uh, reports that, you know, U.S. soccer approached guys like Oguchi Onyewu, American uh, legend, Ernst Tanner, Mike Jacobs, who were uh, uh, involved with U.S. Uh, MLS clubs. I don't know if he was above or beyond. He has better credentials than a lot of those guys. You want somebody who can work in the U.S. circles, and that's like the that's like the 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 gray area that has people arguing about American soccer culture. Do you need Americans to oversee U.S. soccer? Yes and no. We've always done it. Um, if we don't do it, very few countries at least in Europe, South America, go against the grain and hire people from outside. Mexico's done it in the past. African teams have done it. Asian teams have done it. European teams have not. Italians coach Italy. English coach English. Argentines coach Argentines. South Brazilians, very rare they get a non as a coach or a sporting director. But I mean, maybe we should be classified with South Korea and Japan, and or Japan has a Japanese coach, or... Uh, some of these African countries, mostly led by African uh, uh, managers. Uh, but I I'm fine with it. I want some American know-how there. Maybe that comes through the coach. And you probably heard that while at Southampton, Matt Crocker, in their relegation fears, when they parted ways with, I think his name is Nathan Jones, that they approached Jesse Marsh to take over the job. It seemed like it was a done deal. However, couldn't agree to terms. He wanted a longer contract and it didn't happen. But the reality is he approached Jesse Marsh maybe because these American connections he has. Now, he's at U.S. soccer and there's more ties that bind him to Jesse Marsh. It seems like a no-brainer slam dunk that Jesse Marsh is the clubhouse leader right now to be the new coach. And that's fine. They're going to vet some other, I mean, candidates. I would say Jesse Marsh is the favorite. But when something's so obvious, sometimes it doesn't really happen. So I wouldn't just lock it in that it's Jesse Marsh, although I, I tend to think that's the name we're going to hear. But I'm on board. I support Matt Crocker. U.S. soccer showed amazing um, growth by pursuing a guy like this because it came out of left field. We didn't know much about Matt Crocker. and That's comforting to me. That shows that... They did their due diligence. I look at some of the people that they brought in for consulting. John Thorrington at LAFC, a guy I work with and I could not respect and is hitting every uh, threshold he hits. Mark Krikorian of the Washington Spirit used to coach Florida State. I, that's my university. I've seen that guy win national title after national title. These are people I really, really respect in the game that U.S. soccer brought in for consulting purposes. So everything I like uh, I can't really sit here and say, maybe it should have been this guy. Everything I hear more about Matt Crocker, I like some more. But I like the fact that U.S. soccer went after a professional caliber guy without any, I mean, whether he had American connections or not, they kind of didn't use that as a, a one-all, end-all. Remember, in the past, U.S. soccer would do that. 
yeah, he's got to speak English or she's got to speak English and this has got to be part of you. They went against the grain. I think that's showing growth. Now we have to see how much power they give him or if they don't. I think they would. So let's all embrace Matt Crocker. And we're, we still, we have an identity as American soccer. An Englishman in charge of us should not change that. I think he's going to have the right sensibility to be aware of that because he's dealing with Americans and he has to get along with Americans. He's not going to come in here and go, all right, fellas, uh, we're going to bring in uh, Sir Sam Allardyce and uh, that's it. We're going to play this kind of football. He's not going to do that. So let's, uh, let's see what he has to say. And we'll talk more about this here on the Soccer OG. Uh, by the way, Southampton has a great record of developing young players from Gareth Bale to James Ward-Prowse, Luke Shaw, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. So the development's good. He, Southampton have a nice uh, development with the women's game. So again, check mark, check mark, check mark. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend, check out the Soccer OG on YouTube. We'll be back again. I hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly did. And we'll talk very soon until we do that. Placido Domingo.